Sportsnet Today. Listen on the air, online, on the Sportsnet app, and always on your smart speaker. Sportsnet 960, the fan, Calgary. get to it here broadcasting live from adrenaline source for sports patrick dumas this is sportsnet today it is hype fest join them today all weekend to help celebrate bowers iconic brand the vapors 25th birthday i can't believe it's been 25 years for the vapor wow hype fest going on all weekend at adrenaline now prizes and giveaways all weekend long they got the stick here the hyper light to skate as well uh, we'll be talking about this all afternoon. Adrenaline Source of Sports, we're broadcasting 1 to 5. I'll take you from 1 to 2 alone, and then Aaron Vickers will join us, and then he'll take you home 4 to 5. Lots to get to today on the program. It's a busy, busy, a lot of guests, a lot of guests today. Uh, we'll kick things off here in a couple minutes, and we'll go down uh, that Atlas Beats and Sports Bar guest hotline to chat with Jordan Dijani, uh, NFL writer for CBSSports.com, NFL training camps in full swing. Already some scary injuries happening, and it's only day one. So, well, we'll, uh, we'll go out west, we'll talk, or out west, out east, touchdown Atlantic this weekend. John Hodge is reporting for Three Down Nation, t- uh, the Riders and Argos. It's a busy week in the CFL. Some obviously some news with Calgary Stampeders. We'll have our Stampeder report uh, with Matty Rose coming up a little later on as well. And it's a Toronto Blue Jays game day. They begin a three-game set with the Los Angeles Angels. Shohei Otani not being traded. The Angels went all in a couple days ago, acquiring Lucas Giolito uh, from the Chicago White Sox. White Sox dealing a couple more pitchers today to the other Los Angeles team. But the Angels, they got all hands on deck uh, this weekend. Uh, it should be a should be a great guy. I will say this: uh, tonight's game is not on TV. You can listen to it right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, of course, um, but it's an Apple TV broadcast. Cam, it's an exclusive. It's an exclusive. I think it's only the second time they've been on Apple TV this year. But if you got the Apple TV subscription, you can watch uh, Shohei, and they they would they would do that. Like, oh, Shohei, you got to go watch it on Apple. You gotta Whatever. pay a Should... big premium to see Mr. Otani. You guess you do. You guess you gotta. Uh, he won't pitch though. He had to pitch yesterday, and he got yanked in that second game. But what a day yesterday uh, for Shohei! I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of the baseball chat later on as well. But yeah, uh, NFL training camps opening up uh, around the league. Um, I'm excited. Coming up to the best time of year in sports, I think. You know, we're coming out of the summer. I didn't want to say out of the summer. We haven't even got to August yet. Um, but it is that time that we are going to start getting into the sports of hockey. And, of course, I'm at an equipment store, Adrenaline Source of Sport. There's tons of people here looking uh, for sticks. And, of course, the Bauer uh, Vapor Hyperlite 2 is here for you as well. Uh, Cam, do we have our guest? Or are we getting our guest here? We are just in the process of getting our first We're guest just of in the, the day. Process. We're just in the process here. So, uh, yeah, well, Jordan Dijani joins us from CBSSports.com. Um, and... Uh, yeah, like I said, Joe Burrow got messed up yesterday, and uh, he, he should be okay. He had to leave uh, practice with, uh, it turns out it's a calf injury, but this is the fourth straight training camp. This is only his fourth year in the league that he's had to deal with something. Obviously, first year, it was the pandemic, so he didn't really get to work with his teammates until uh, until really getting to 
uh, camp. And then the 2021, he had the uh, he had the recovery from the torn ACL. And then in 2022, of course, he had the uh, the issues with the uh, recovery, the appendectomy last year. I believe it was in July. Um, so yeah, we'll get into a lot of those topics with Jordan. Okay, yes, and we go down the Atlas Music and Sports Podcast hotline. We're joined by Jordan Jajani of CBSSports.com. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your afternoon, Jordan. Thank you. How are you doing? Hey, hey, my friends, what's going on? Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, not a problem, buddy. Uh, we'll get into it here. Uh, the state of the running back position. Uh, Delvin Cook, uh, if you saw him this morning, he was on Good Morning Football over on the NFL Network, said... They'll run us 300-plus times, and they think we're worn down. And then he goes into a little thing about J.K. Dobbins saying he doesn't show any wear and tear, which is, uh, let's face it, a lie. But just the whole situation. You got Jim Irsay weighing in, saying you can't, you know, we, we negotiated with the CBA. We had these, and now you got a position group that's trying to get uh, a better wage, I guess you'd say. But what's your read on this whole running back fiasco here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could spend an entire show, three hours, talking yeah. about this subject. I mean, let me tell you this. I, I think that everybody can objectively agree that the running back position, they deserve more money, they deserve more financial security. I think we're all on board with that. But I could play devil's advocate with myself. I mean, when you look at the position itself, when you look at the average career mm-hmm. length for the running back compared to the other position, it's very different. And these running backs are injured more often. And the other biggest thing, in my opinion, is that they're easily replaceable, right? I mean, look what happens when Le'Veon Bell holds out. Look what happens when Melvin Gordon holds out with the Chargers. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, I go back to 2021. I think Derrick Henry, for example, is like the best running back in the NFL. If you remember when he went down with that foot injury a couple years ago with the Titans and he missed the majority of the regular season, what happened to the Titans that year? They won the number one seed in the entire AFC and went to the playoffs as that top seed without Derrick Henry who, again, is the one running back in the NFL who I think really shoulders an offense. So it's kind mm-hmm. of a catch-22. We're, we're, caught, we're caught in a tough spot right now. And I'm very interested to see what the running backs are going to do because we've seen that they've had these Zoom calls, they've had yep. these group chats, um, Jim Irsay coming out talking about potentially renegotiating the CBA. Obviously, that's something that's probably not going to happen, but that's <laughs> an interesting course of action if they choose to do so. So one thing I will say is keep an eye on next offseason. Maybe that's when we'll see this prospective running back revolution happen because Derrick Henry's a free agent, Austin Eckler's a free agent, Saquon Barkley's a free agent, Josh Jacobs is a free agent. All these guys are going to be looking for new deals. So maybe we'll push this issue to next offseason, but certainly something needs to be done. Like I, I totally get where Ursay is coming from, and I totally get where the running backs are coming from. Yeah, you're, you're, you you want to you want to cut your you want to cut of the pie, of course, when you're you're playing this sport. But again, you are very expendable at that position because yeah, the wear and tear is there. And by the time you're 28, 29 in that career, it seems like hey, it's it's time to draft another one, and we can find another one of you in the third and fourth round. It just it just feels like it's just the way the offenses have gone over the last I guess 15 years. How the league's transitioned to more of a passing game. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think the running back position is the one position in the game of football that has become devalued, looking at the franchise tag from just five years ago, right? Mm -hmm. They're not making as much money as they used to be. The market itself hasn't been reset since 2020 when Christian McCaffrey signed that deal. Think about the quarterback market and the wide receiver market. That thing is getting reset every single day. We haven't seen that with the running back. So, Again, it's it's a fascinating issue, and the NFL has a, has a reason to believe what they believe. But at the same time, we can all agree that the running back position deserves more credit and more financial security as well. 
Yes, I agree there for sure. Uh, some comments made uh, this past week from uh, the new Denver Broncos head coach, Sean Payton, uh, essentially just saying Nathaniel Hackett's coaching job was uh, was one of the worst in NFL history. Fair or foul with those comments? Oh, my goodness. Did you think he was off the record or something? Because uh, he no. would scorch earth on <laughs> several people, man. And listen, he definitely had some pretty rough comments for the Broncos organization and Nathaniel Hackett, right? But I think those were kind of fair, right? I think a lot oh, of yeah. people would agree with him in that sense. So, you know, I didn't really freak out about what he said there. What, what he said that really caught my eye was him throwing shade at this year's, this offseason's darling, right, the New York Jets. Yeah. He was drawing a line between Aaron Rodgers and the Jets and the 2022 Broncos, which was mm-hmm. the, one of the biggest disasters in NFL recent memory. That's, that was the headline. That's what really caught my eye. So I saw that Sean Payton, you know, got up in front of reporters today and apologized, said he was wearing his Fox media hat instead of his coaching hat, <laughs> which I'm sure he should have done. But, man, let me tell you, the, the Jets and the Broncos play week five in the regular season, and everyone's going to be paying attention to that game. Oh, yeah, that's going to be electric down at mile high. What do we expect from the Broncos this season? You know, second year with Wilson, he's got, you know, a quarterback type coach in Sean Payton who obviously had some wonderful years with uh, with Drew Brees in New Orleans and his time in Dallas and with the Giants he's he's a great offensive mind and you know he said hey Russell's not going to have his personal quarterback coach here he's not going to have any of that outside noise it is us uh what do you what do you read on the Broncos it's obviously a, it's a tough division yeah, it's kind of interesting. I actually wrote something on CBS Sports saying, you know, the the, uh, the Jets and the Broncos are kind of similar teams, right? They got these mm. quarterbacks that won Super Bowls that were traded over to another team. But, you know, they got the same goal in mind of hoisting Lombardi. They both have elite defenses as well. But I think I'd probably I'm, – I'm more optimistic for the Jets if I bring up that topic. But in terms of the Broncos, yeah, it's obviously a very tough division. And when it comes to shouldering the blame for what happened in 2022, I mean, the offense was trash. There was a ton of injuries. The offensive line didn't perform well. The head coach obviously was not very good either. (laughs) But definitely Russell Wilson deserves some blame. He was not seeing the field like he did when he was with the Seattle Seahawks. And I don't know if that was a product of aging or if that was a product of a uh, poorly set up and established implemented offense. You know, those are some questions that need to be answered. I will tell you this. I mean, there's no way that Russell Wilson is going to be as bad as he was in 2022. Mm-hmm. He is going to improve statistically, especially under the careful watch of one of the best offensive minds in the National Football League with Coach Payton. But the question is, how much is he going to improve? How healthy is Javante Williams going to be at the running back position? How much better is that offensive line? We know that Denver has really good weaponry to work with, and yep. I think they have a top five statistical defense as well. So the Broncos are going to be better, but again, the question is how much better because I like the Chargers probably a little more right now, and we all know what the Chiefs are in the NFL as well. Yeah, and uh, one of those uh, rivals to everyone else in the AFC at the top is at least the Cincinnati Bengals, and they had a, a little bit of a scare yesterday with Joe Burrow, uh, his calf injury. Uh, he'll be okay, but can this guy catch a break? This is the fourth straight training camp, four years in the league, but it's the fourth training camp in a row that something's been brought up. He had the pandemic. He had the recovery from ACL. He had the appendectomy last year, and now he has the calf injury. But, I mean, it doesn't really matter. He's showed out on the field. But uh, this is a big year for Cincinnati. Yeah, I'm sure that in his new record-breaking contract that's coming down the line in the near future, his agent's already written in that Joe Burrow cannot put on cleats until September because (laughs) all this bad stuff keeps happening in the offseason. You're right, the guy can't catch a break. But 
I mean, at the same time, it does seem like he might have caught a break. We don't have any official yeah. word just yet, but, you know, according to multiple reports, it's believed to be a calf strain, so not that big of an issue. I'm sure he'll take it easy during whatever kind of recovery timetable they establish for him. But this is not a situation um, like Jalen Ramsey's currently going through right now where mm-hmm. he just went under the knife. He's going to be out till like, December or something like that. This is a big year for Cincinnati, man. And In fact, I, I was thinking about putting some money on them to win the Super Bowl, but obviously didn't pull the trigger after yesterday's mm-hmm. news. But, I mean, Joe Burrow is, 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 a, is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I think Jamar Chase is set up for a career year as well. The most underrated storyline, maybe of the entire offseason, was what Cincy did on the offensive line. Acquiring Orlando Brown Jr. over at left tackle is a huge upgrade. Keeping Joe yeah. Burrow upright, giving him time to throw, is going to allow him to be the best quarterback he can possibly be. Cincinnati made some upgrades on defense as well. So I think the Bengals are the best team in the AFC North, and they may be on the way to the Super Bowl. We'll see. Uh, the other rival to the Bengals and Chiefs, I guess, at the top of the echelon of the AFC is the Buffalo Bills. Uh, they went to the AFC Championship a couple of years ago. Uh, they had the divisional losses the last two seasons. Uh, now McDermott, he got the extension in June, but how much longer can the Bills, you know, go, you know, without you know getting to the actual Super Bowl? Because, you know, they're you know the, the fans there in Buffalo, they're hungry, obviously. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think that this is a big year for Buffalo, right? I mean, they were the odds-on favorite last season to win the Super Bowl. We all saw how that went. They were upset by Joey Burrow on on their home snow, not their home turf, their home (laughs) snow up there in Buffalo. When looking at this roster, man, I think that they have a top-ten defense, no doubt about it. But offensively, they didn't really make the upgrades I was anticipating they would make. Uh, I'm I'm talking about the running back room. They got names like James Cook, Damian Harriet, Damian excuse me, Damian Harris, Latavius mm-hmm. Murray, guys we know, but those guys aren't Dalvin Cook, right, or Saquon Barkley. Um, they didn't upgrade the running back room. Looking at the wide receiving core, I-, I love Gabe Davis, but is he a legitimate number two in the NFL? I, I don't think so. We had already had some weird offseason drama with Stephon Diggs not being present on the first day of mandatory minicamp. So, yeah, Buffalo has big-time expectations, but – you look at the AFC, scratch that. Look at the AFC East. I mean, that might be the <laughs> toughest division in the NFL. It's going to be it's going to be a tough road. But, I mean, the, the bottom line is the Bills have a good head coach, in my opinion, and McDermott. They got a star quarterback. They got a star wide receiver and a good defense. So, it's going to be interesting to see just how this division shakes out because they should be the favorites to win the division, but it's not going to be a clear-cut thing here. Yeah, no, we'll stay in the AFC East. Uh, Rodgers and the Jets, everything's all roses right now as they get ready for hard knocks. Uh, what are the realistic expectations for this team? I mean, this is we've already talked about it. This is a tough division. New England, you know, as, as, as much as we want to crap on New England, that's still Bill Belichick coach team. Two in Miami, what they got going, and obviously with the Buffalo Bills. But the Jets, they went out, they got their quarterback, they brought over half the Packers with them. What is the real expectations for the New York Jets? Yeah, I think that's a great question because you're going to get a different answer no matter whatever yeah. analyst you talk to, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I'll tell you this. I'm pretty high on the New York Jets. Uh, and It's not just because of Aaron Rodgers. I think they've done a great job of constructing their roster. they got young talent on both sides of the ball. I think mm-hmm. they really do have a top-five defense led by Sauce Gardner, Quinn and Williams, all those guys. But, man, I mean, with Aaron Rodgers, with a new quarterback coming in, there's going to be some kind of level of growing pains. And yep. you look at their schedule – I can already I can already predict the season, it feels like. They're, they're going to get off to somewhat of a slow start. I mean, they start the year against Buffalo, then the Cowboys, Patriots, Chiefs, Broncos, Eagles, right before they get to the bye week in week seven. 
you know, I think the Jets could have a potentially have a losing record when they get mm-hmm. to that bye week. But here's the thing. The, the second half of the season for them is somewhat favorable. I think that's when they bounce back. I'm looking at the Jets to maybe finish the year 10-7, and seven, make the playoffs as a wild card. I think those should be the expectations. Make the playoffs in, in some form or fashion, maybe win one or two playoff games. I'm certainly not predicting them to win the Super Bowl, but I think, they, they, I think that they can make a postseason push. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, this team was rolling really uh, like uh, to a playoff spot until the injuries happened to the quarterback spot and then, and whatnot. So there are some pieces here, and obviously having that guy pulling the trigger is going to give uh, people a little bit more uh, hype for them. We're talking with Jordan Dijani, NFL writer for CBSSports.com. Uh, we'll, we'll might as well stay there. Uh, we'll go to Miami. Uh, Mike McDaniel thinks it could be a couple months at least before we see Jalen Ramsey. Uh, yeah, he messed up his meniscus. Tua coming off a of pretty, obviously, his gnarly concussion and his end of last year. What's your read on this Dolphins group? Man, entering 2023, I would tell you that the Dolphins are probably the squad I'm most excited to watch. But Jalen Ramsey being taken down is definitely a huge blow. He was a big reason I was excited for this defense. I mean, you look at this defense just on roster and with with Jalen Phillips, an underrated pass rusher, Bradley Chubb, Xavier Howard, Javon Holland, throw Jalen Ramsey into the mix. I was excited Mm -hmm. to see what this unit could do. Mind you, under the leadership of Vic Fangio, which was kind of an underrated addition this offseason. And then you go over to the offensive side of the ball. I mean, obviously, Mike McDaniel knows how to construct a high-flying attack. Tua Tagovailoa, even though he missed the better part of five regular season games, I think it was, still had a career year. He looked like one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL when he was healthy under center. So I'm excited to see what this team is going to look like under under Mike McDaniel in year two. But, man, I really wish Jalen Ramsey was in the mix because they could do something special. Uh, one more question on the AFC, and we'll, we'll keep it local to you. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Tennessee now, uh, is he is he going to be enough to replace uh, what they traded away in with A.J. Brown? Is that going to be enough for Ryan Tannehill to get some more pep in that offense? That's a loaded question, yeah. I mean, with A.J. Brown, because A.J. Brown, he had a career year with the Eagles, right? An offense that prioritized passing the ball. The Titans have never prioritized passing the ball. So I don't know if he's going to put up A.J. Brown numbers, but he does provide a number one wideout for Ryan Tannehill, which I think was incredibly important that the Titans get this offseason. So I'm feeling a lot better about the outlook of the Tennessee Titans I think you also have to bring up that they are implementing a new offense under a new offensive coordinator, Tim Kelly. I think you're going to see more fast-paced action. You're going to see more quick throws. You're going to see more throwing of the ball in general. Um, I think DeAndre Hopkins helps not only Derrick Henry, not only Tim Kelly, not only Ryan Tannehill, but uh, the young wide receiver, Traylon Burks, as well. With this Titans team, I think their biggest asset is their head coach. I think Mike Vrabel is one of the best head coaches in the NFL. He's going to make sure that this squad is competitive no matter who's playing quarterback, no matter who's on injured reserve. So I'm excited to see what this team is capable of. And I think DeAndre Hopkins was an addition they absolutely needed to make. So I'm glad they did. Uh, Enough on the AFC. We'll go over to the NFC. And now that Aaron Rodgers has left, it's Jalen Hurts and a whole lot of we'll see when it comes to finding, like, who's the next best quarterback in the NFC. I'm like, I'm going through, I'm like, Stafford's coming off an injury. Kirk Cousins still can't win the big one. I'm thinking Jared Goff might have the best group to work with in his division. You have Purdy in San Francisco, Dak, Daniel Jones. But then I'm looking at the guy in Seattle. Does Geno Smith deserve some love for might being the being the second best quarterback in the NFC? <laughs> the second best? I don't know if I would put him as at number two, but I do yeah. think he's very underrated. And I'm excited about the Seahawks, man. And 
it's not only because of the offensive side. I mean, they got Jackson Smith and Jigba, a young yep. offensive line, a good young running back. But, man, they've made some upgrades on defense I'm very excited about. Seattle could be a dark horse to win that division. I know everyone wants to pencil in the 49ers, but depending on what happens with the quarterback situation, Mm -hmm. injuries, things like that, Seattle might be an underrated squad. In terms of quarterbacks, I mean, it might be a little bit of recency bias because I heard there was some show on Netflix called Quarterback, but I'm starting (laughs) to like Kirk Cousins a lot more now. I think Kirk Cousins doesn't get his flowers. He's definitely not the most mobile guy in the world, not Mm -hmm. the most athletic guy, but he's someone who can make the the passes that quarterbacks need to make at the highest level. So they lost Alvin Cook, but Alexander Madison is a great addition. I think their defense is going to be a little bit better this year. They made a great addition to Jordan Addison out wide as well. The Vikings, man, they might be uh, – um, you, you need to put an eye on them to maybe repeat as NFC North champions. Everyone wants to talk about the Detroit yeah. Lions, but if they don't live up to expectations, man, you should put some money on the Vikings. Once I start seeing Detroit Lions being favored in anything, I just start running to the hill. <laughs> like, it's just like, no, no, we just, we just don't know yet. We just don't know. And obviously they made some additions and whatnot, and they had a good run last year with Dan Campbell almost almost getting into the playoffs. But uh, just like in the NFC, you got it, it is it is a it is a it feels like it's a conference that it's the Eagles, it's the Niners, and then you really don't know what what you can expect out of this group. Uh, like just overall, do you think the Eagles, it's them and the Niners again meeting in the NFC Championship, or does somebody else maybe prop up here? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, if I had to say, I mean, if I had to predict, yeah. it, I do think the Eagles and the 49ers are the top two teams, and. The other two teams that I would have as kind of dark horses, I already mentioned, right, the Seattle Seahawks and the Minnesota Vikings. As you mentioned, the Lions had a great year last year, and I definitely don't mean to demean them. I love Dan Campbell. I think that they're set up for a very good year. Love what they did on defense, by the way. But are they really ready to take that next step forward Mm -hmm. to competing, to making a playoff run? That's the biggest question that surrounds Detroit entering 2023. So, I got my big four, right? The Eagles, the 49ers, the Vikings, um, the Seahawks, and maybe keep an eye on the Dallas Cowboys as well. Yeah, you should always never forget about the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, they're always going to be relevant for sure. Uh, give me uh, your uh, maybe a surprise team from maybe both conferences that missed the playoffs last year that could, but maybe find themselves in the in the dance come January. Yeah, good question. Um, a team that missed the playoffs, well, I don't know if I can have a surprise team from the AFC. I mean, the Jets missed yeah, the playoffs not last a lot year, of them. but I think a lot of people <laughs> are expecting them. The Broncos, I don't think I don't think I want to pencil in the Broncos to make the playoffs this year either. I'm not going to take the Browns. Um, all right, here's my surprise. I guess I'll take the Tennessee Titans to upset okay. the Jaguars and win the AFC South. I think that might be somewhat of a of a fun pick because no one's making that, but I live in mm-hmm. Nashville, so maybe I'll just be – bias for one second look at tennessee um from the nfc um you know what the the nfc south really intrigues me because i have no idea who's going to win that division i think the favorite right now is going to be Derek carr and the saints but i don't have a lot of faith in that head coach they have somewhat of an aging roster you don't know how good carr is going to be so that division is wide open i mean if desmond ritter takes a step forward Mm -hmm. the falcons made some great additions on defense they could be a surprise team but I'm kind of falling in love with the Carolina Panthers. I think that they made the best hiring of the coaching cycle with Frank Reich. They've got a really good defense, the number one overall pick in Bryce Young. If you can keep Bryce Young upright, you know, and allow him to hit his receivers, make sure he doesn't get sacked because we all know he has a very small frame. The Panthers might be a sleeper to win that division in the NFC South and make the playoffs. 
Yeah, that NFC South, uh, it does feel like it's wide open. I'm really excited to see Bryce Young and what he can do. But, but yeah, B. John Robinson in Atlanta with Tyler Algier, that running back room, will be fun to watch in Atlanta as well. Jordan, uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your afternoon. Uh, enjoy the rest of training camp. We'll probably talk again before the season. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. All right, there you go. There's Jordan Dijani uh, from CBSSports.com, NFL writer, and he joined us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline, 15-time Consumer Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For pickup or delivery, call 403-248-3344. We are on location today down at Adrenaline Source for Sports. It is Hype Fest. It's uh, Bauer Vipers' 25th birthday, and they're celebrating all weekend with prizes and giveaways. It's the unveiling of the Hyper 2 Light Stick and Skate. Uh, These things are electric looking. It's so light. I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't play hockey. I've never really played hockey, so I don't know a ton of the equipment, but like, I know that is super light and I, and I would play with it as um, I would play with it. Throw your headset on. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> you want some more information on these, uh, these, yeah, quickly, quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So they re-revolutionized their vapor skate, uh, stick okay. and their skates. So the stick's going to be 25 grams lighter. Oh. And so it's more durable. There was problems with the agent before where it would snap very quickly. Mm. They've changed that. Mm-hmm. And then just the skate is just a hold better, so much lighter, and they've got a new holder for the skate Ooh. that allows you to maximize your agility and quickness. All right. Well, uh, come on down. Come out. Try the stick. Try the skates on for yourself. Uh, we're on the McLeod Trails side here, uh, Adrenaline Source for Sports. Um, yeah, and around the corner... Canada, they continue their trek down to the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. We'll talk with the Northern Football Podcast, Peter Galindo, around the corner as Sportsnet Today continues here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Back to Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back. Sportsnet Today, Patrick Dumas. Live from Adrenaline Source for Sports, 9309 McLeod Trail Southwest. It's Hype Fest this weekend, celebrating Bauer Vapor's 25th birthday all weekend, prizes and giveaways. We'll have more information throughout the show. But, yeah, come out. Say hi. The stick's here. It's beautiful. It's light. The skates, I haven't seen the skates yet. I'm not about to put them on, but I'm sure they're light as well. And we go right back down that Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We're joined by Peter Galindo from the Northern Football Podcast, also a contributor to Sportsnet, covering the Women's World Cup uh, for Canada. Uh, as they are one and one, getting ready to play Australia on Monday for their final group stage game. Peter, thank you so much for joining me. How are we doing? Yeah, pleasure as always, Pat. Thanks for having me back. Oh, not a problem, buddy. Always a pleasure as well. Uh, women's team today reaching agreement uh, with Canada Soccer, albeit a, for a year, uh, but at least uh, nothing long term yet. But at least the, they've got the same equal pay as the men. But again. It's still a mess, as you had the, earlier on with the men's team sending a cease and desist to its sponsors. Just give us a quick breakdown of what's been going on this week with Canada Soccer and, and their their negotiations. Yeah, I think it's one of those where I, I feel like nobody wins in this situation because I, I feel like it's one of those where you, you, you really can't be on one side or the other here. It's almost like you kind of sympathize with the Federation a little bit in terms of the fact that, yes, they are strapped for cash. They don't have the resources. Um, sponsorship opportunities really aren't out there in plentiful amounts to, to be able to inject some cash into Canadian soccer. And then on the flip side, you also feel bad for the players because they're clearly sacrificing a lot to 
go to these tournaments, do as well as they possibly can. They're, they're putting their bodies on the line, and ultimately they're the ones who are responsible for generating the revenue um, because obviously without them, there'd be no on-pitch success. Without the staff members, there'd be no on-pitch mm-hmm. success. So you really do feel for both sides in this and that, you know, really there isn't seemingly like one good solution. And I feel like the, the player's statement sort of said that and that they were almost forced to choose between do we get this equal pay treatment or do we fight for more equal compensation um, in, in terms of how the budget's divided between the national teams. And, and it's a terrible choice to have. That's absolutely true. Um, by all accounts, interim secretary general Jason DeVos is doing a, a really good job in terms of just laying out everything in a very transparent way and showing the players like, listen, this is the situation, not trying to sugarcoat anything, not trying to make it seem like things are as bad as, you know, they, they say they are as a negotiating ploy. This is actually the full story. And I think that's why you're starting to see incremental progress being made. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there's still that elephant in the room in that, the financial situation still isn't great. Um, the Canadian Federation did apply for a loan from FIFA, apparently upwards of $5 million, to be able to continue funding future camps. So when you see things like that, um, it, it kind of makes you think, okay, it's probably not the the best situation. The fact that they're now looking at taking loans out, which are interest-free, thankfully, yeah. but... Um, Either way, you look at that and you think, yeah, the, the financial situation clearly isn't going to get any better anytime soon, which is which is a shame because it's holding back it the growth of the sport in this country. Where does it the, the the money come from? Is it is it is it the government funding it more and doing it that way, or is it just hey these teams just have to get more successful? But to get successful, you have to grow this thing because. Yeah, albeit the women, they've been great for for last you know at least two decades here. But the men's t- team has really just started to get going here in the last couple of years. So, where is the money going to come from for these guys? Yeah, that's really the the question here. That's the multi million yeah. dollar question in a lot of ways, right? It's <laughs> oh, where is this sad. money going to come from? And and the problem is when you have the Canadian soccer business deal siphoning off a large portion of the sponsorship revenue that Canada soccer would otherwise generate, that doesn't help things either, right? Now, at the time the deal was made in 2018, it was almost universally positive because nobody was investing in Canadian soccer. And Mm -hmm. that's really a big reason why the CPL owners, which is really what CSB is made up from, we're able to kind of swoop in and say, all right, look, if we're going to be investing our money into these new CPL franchises, we need to have some sort of setback in case the losses become too high. And so that's where this kind of win-win situation came in and that, okay, Canadian soccer gets its investment. The CPL owners kind of get a little bit of a fallback option in case they end up maybe losing a bit too much money or they don't see any immediate return. Um, Unfortunately for everybody involved, and I guess in in a way fortunately too, the men's team drastically improves. The women win Olympic gold. They go to the World Cup with pretty heightened expectations. um, And you start to see the fact that, okay, (laughs) um, now that we're entitled to a bigger piece of the pie now, uh, we can't get it because you're actually strapped for cash, and, and, and this means that we now have to sacrifice a little bit. And things, like, it, it all just kind of snowballs. Um, otherwise, they do get money from the government, yeah. and they do get money from player registrations. So that's pretty much their two largest wow. revenue generators here. The, the good news is CSB has 
said that they're going to start giving back more money to the Federation to be able to provide more equal expenditures on men's and women's camps to be able to obviously help these teams um, continue to push for success because John Herdman mentioned it after the, uh, the Nations League final against the U.S. is that, look, you know, we, we have to get real here. We, we have to start, yeah. you know, finding ways to be able to help our teams get success on the pitch and to, you know, hopefully, and I know that a lot of people thought this was a grandiose statement here, but to win a World Cup. But look, at yeah. the end of the day, you want to aim high. You can't always aim low. You have to aim as high as you possibly can. And like the resources are there. The talent is there. All the framework is there for Canada to be a, honestly, if not a, a solid footballing nation, a, a borderline elite footballing nation. And so the fact that financially it's just not there yet, it's massively disappointing. Should we be worried about the CPL and then the women's league? out of all of this or is it like these they shouldn't we shouldn't worry about them right now i would say right now it's probably not too much of an issue um okay. especially because you're starting to see attendance numbers in the cpl especially this season yeah um looking really really positive like across the league maybe outside of york united everybody's mm-hmm. doing well even the new um expansion side in vancouver's mm-hmm. attracting right around three thousand people which that was actually one of my biggest reservations was how are people in the Fraser Valley going to identify with a team that has the Vancouver branding and you yeah. know, is still basically like an hour outside of Vancouver, essentially? You're not the White Caps. Um, and they've done very well. Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, <laughs> and they've done very well. So, like, to be fair to them, um, the attendance is doing well there. Calvary's attendance is, is yep. continuing to go up as their on-pitch success continues to grow and grow. And and, and really everywhere across the league is healthy. So that's the good news. You're starting to see more Canadians come through mm-hmm. when you're seeing the likes of Victor Loturi, Dominic Zator, yep. and, and other players cracking the national team picture. That's exactly what the league was created for, yep. is to provide that extra pipeline. So that's all encouraging. Financially, it's, it's looking decent enough, at least for a league that's in year five. So yeah. I would say right now it's, it's not too much of an issue. And then for the women's league it's really just about finding those investors, right. And mm-hmm. hoping that they have that financial backing and the, and the consistency to be able to fund this thing, because just like the CPL, you're going to have to start investing a lot of money with very little return at the start and just be patient and hope that eventually it pays off. All right. Enough of the, 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 the red tape and all that that's affecting Canada soccer. Let's get to the product on the pitch. Uh, the women's team over in Australia right now, they're one and one through their opening two group stage games, nil, nil draw with Nigeria two one come from behind win against Ireland. Uh, the expectations versus, uh, versus Australia on Monday, they fared well in the past against the Matildas. Uh, Sam Kerr's obviously her return is going to be vital, but what are we thinking uh, through two games here with Canada? Cause it's, it slowly started to get going there at the end of that Ireland game. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of Canada's problems were exacerbated by just the lack of game time leading up to yeah. the tournament. They had five games in 2023, including that behind closed doors friendly against England just before the tournament started, they had gone more than three months without playing a match together. So that's clearly going to affect things, which is why you probably saw what was a very tepid match against Nigeria. You saw flashes, but there were things like just sloppy touches. You you Mm -hmm. saw players just really playing out of sync. And then against Ireland, yeah, the first half, I think you saw players got a bit nervous after they conceded (laughs) at the time. anyways. 
<laughs> yeah, and, and and you know probably the one time you you as a Canadian would say, oh God, I really hate the fact that an Olympico was scored. Otherwise, you're like, oh my God, amazing. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Um, so I think that after they settled their nerves down and got that equalizer right before halftime, as fortuitous as it was, you saw everything kind of click into place and you saw the potential the team has. The problem is the continued slow starts, the fact mm-hmm. that these 11s, no matter who Bev Priestman throws out there, just can't seem to gel in that first 45 minutes. And she's having to rely on in-game changes and substitutions to kind of bring it all together. Um, And that's going to be the big question here against Australia, who are now going to be under immense pressure, obviously, because they lost to Nigeria, somewhat Mm -hmm. surprisingly. Mm -hmm. And they're going to go out there needing to get a win in all likelihood to get through. Um, So it's going to be a fascinating game. And, And that really is the one question here for me is, can they overcome you know, what hopefully won't be another slow start, but if they do, and then they concede again, and they have come from behind against Australia before, so that is the good news, but how are they going to react to that, knowing that it's going to be an even more partisan crowd compared to the Ireland game, knowing that both teams involved have so much on the line, and that it's going to be that razor-thin margin of, okay, you know, here we are, we're going through, we're winning the group, and then suddenly, okay, now we're out of the tournament and we need to get a couple of goals here, knowing that our open play struggles have been pretty well noteworthy at this point. Uh, Is Christine Sinclair right now at this part of the tournament best suited to come off the bench, or would you like her to get back into the starting 11 for Australia? I would say an impact substitute. Um, And I know that she did very, very well um, coming off the bench against Ireland for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was one of, it was her inclusion. It was her intelligent movement off the ball. Same as Sophie Schmidt's movement off the ball. That was really integral to what was an amazing second half for Canada, just both sides of the ball in general. Um, If you had to pick between the two in terms of who starts, you're probably leaning Schmidt more so than Sinclair. Mm -hmm. Because I think Sinclair now is really being utilized in a more midfield-like role, kind of being that late runner into the box. But when you have Jesse Fleming to fulfill that role, when you have Julia Grosso to to fulfill that role, is there really a need for Sinclair in that situation? Probably not. So it's a great problem to have when you have international soccer's all-time leading goal scorer to lean on to come off the bench. Uh, But I would say for now, for sure, she's probably in that impact sub-role, as impactful as she was in that second half against Ireland. We're talking with Peter Galindo uh, from the Northern Football Podcast, also a Sportsnet columnist for covering the Women's World Cup. Uh, Do you see any holes in the Americans game right now? I know it's early, but, you know, they had the 1-1 draw there with the Netherlands. They fell behind for the first time at the World Cup since 2011. Uh, I know, you know, the the scoring, only three goals against Vietnam. But, like, do you feel like, yeah, this is just, you know, they're just waiting, they're going to pick it up? Or do you feel like, hey, this could be a year that maybe somebody comes up and beats these guys? Look, I I do think that the women's field has gotten a lot stronger the last four years. I mean, just look at Spain and England at the last Euros or even Spain at this tournament. Japan's looked amazing. Um, Like, it's a much deeper field now than it was even four years ago, and it continues to get better and better as more of these federations and clubs, especially in Europe, but also in South America and Mexico, other places as well, as they continue to invest more and more into the women's game. So you're going to start to see that gap really narrow. And I think you're seeing it at its narrowest now um, at this tournament. But I think on paper, and even if you watch that Netherlands game again, 
talent-wise, the U.S. are right up there still. Like, yeah. they're among the three or four best countries at the tournament for sure. The problem is, tactically and in-game, I mean, using one of your substitutions in a match where you could still have won it for sure because they were mm-hmm. actually knocking on the door against the Netherlands after equalizing, and you didn't take it. So it, it's mm-hmm. things like that. It, it's those self-inflicted wounds yeah. that are probably going to cost them here. Um, and in the past, you could probably get away from that because, oh, well, we ultimately have the talent and the mentality yeah. in these big games to be able to get through it. But when all these other teams are now boasting the same, even if it's not you know player for player, the same level of talent, generally speaking, the talent gap isn't as big. Tactically, the, the, the coaching is pretty much on par. All these players play in marquee leagues. It, it becomes the, those little intangibles um, and, and, you know, making the in-game adjustments that you need to make or maybe taking a, a, a risk or two that you might think, okay, it is risky, but it could really pay off here. It's moments like that that I feel the U.S. team, at least at this tournament, is there for the taking. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't, I can't uh, disagree with you there. The, the, the talent from around the country, like Colombia was fun to watch, and Japan, obviously. and just like, I think Spain is, has a real shot at, at going super deep in this tournament, and obviously there's England, and of course Canada still has a, has a shot, though, but I think this might be the year, yeah, the Americans could have uh, some trouble. Um, what's your take, okay, Lionel Messi, first week uh, in North America, League's Cup action, and three goals. <laughs> but uh, maybe one owner in MLS not so happy that Messi's up here. That's the Whitecaps guy. But just overall, your uh, your takeaway uh, from Messi's first week here in North America. I feel like it went about as everybody expected in that, you know, <laughs> you have to keep in mind, too, he's he's still in preseason mode. Him and Sergio yeah. Busquets are yeah. still in preseason mode which is what's kind of crazy to think about. And they're going out there and it's like, you know, they're, they're playing a seven aside game on a Wednesday night with, with, with their friends basically. And, and, but, but I, I think the good thing is, is that you can see that, and this probably has a lot to do with the fact that Messi won the world cup and whatnot. But even after he got back to Paris, after winning with Argentina, you could see that he just wasn't really enjoying himself. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing that now he is enjoying himself on the pitch. And it helps when you're winning. It helps when you're at home and you haven't really traveled yet and haven't dealt with all the, the curveballs that MLS can throw at you. Um, yeah. But you, you see how he performs on the pitch. You see the fact that Miami's selling out games. People are tuning in in droves. Um, apparently, Apple uh, MLS season passes are either at or have surpassed a million. Now that includes also nice. free trials. You wonder if yeah. those free trials will end up getting picked <laughs> up permanently or if yeah. people will just cancel it. Um, but either way, the, the signs are there that this, this is not just like a, like a temporary craze. Like this actually could be quite sustainable here. And it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with Miami because, I mean, they're through to the next round of the League's Cup. They're in the semifinals yeah. of the U.S. Open Cup, and they have a real shot of winning a trophy. And you wonder, like, if they end up doing that, even getting to a final, do they end up having one of the craziest in-season turnarounds in MLS history mm-hmm. and get into the playoffs? Like, that's what's going to be fascinating to watch here. But certainly it's been, it's been first of all, amazing to see it, the fact that it's an MLS. Um, it, it's all, honestly still a little bit crazy to me that Messi is playing in Miami for an MLS team and not just an exhibition. That's kind of sometimes what yeah. I think when I see him yeah. from the start of a match. I'm like, oh, he's playing in an exhibition in a one-off game for Miami. That's cool. Um, it might take some getting used to, but so far, like the early returns have been 
very, very encouraging for me, both on and off the pitch. Yeah, no, you, 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 I don't know how you can't be be mad about this, like, or you can't show any anger to me. This is great for the game, great for the game here in North America. Uh, maybe something that's not great for the overall stature of the game, uh, the Saudis and their takeover of the whole game. Though it hit a snag this week when Kylian Mbappe turned down $700 million, uh to uh, not play for uh, for Al-Halal. But, uh, you know, they sounds like a deal's close with Real Madrid. Uh, just overall, like, what do you think this, uh, where this Mbappe thing will end? I, I think it's going to end with him either going to Madrid or staying with Paris begrudgingly. for at least the rest of the season, <laughs> begrudgingly. Yeah, I mean, okay, I'll just collect yeah. my tens of millions of euros and all my <laughs> yeah. all my endorsements, and I'll just go out there and, yeah, I'll play and wait for my dream move to Real Madrid. But what a, you know, mm-hmm. disaster that'll be for me. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think it ends up going in one of those directions. I, I feel like if he ends up staying and he doesn't go to Madrid this summer, eventually Paris is going to relent and he's going to play Um, because without him, like they've taken a a massive blow to the squad this summer. They have lost some really Mm -hmm. key players and they might lose Marco Verratti to Saudi Arabia, which is ironic Mm -hmm. enough. There's rumors that they might get Usman Dembele in there, but that's going to be nowhere close to being enough to, to revitalize that squad. So I feel like they're going to have no choice, but to bring them back into the fold just because like, never mind the Champions League, but domestically they're going to struggle. Um, yeah. So that, to me, is, is going to be what's going to be fascinating to watch. I do imagine he's going to keep keep uh, kind of in the background a little bit. I feel like Mbappe is really playing this quite well because he has all the leverage, and everyone knows that he wants to go to Madrid. And, like, I feel he knows that Paris is also in a precarious situation. He knows PSG needs to make some changes in the squad if they don't get it done. Um then they may have to sell him anyways to be able to fund a bit of a rebuild. So I feel like he's, yeah. he can just take his time with this and, and almost play it as it comes. Thank you so much, Peter. Uh, all the best, uh, and uh, thank you so much for covering uh, the tournament, and thank you for joining me, and we'll, we'll do this again soon, buddy. For sure. Pleasure as always. There you go. There's Peter Galindo, Northern Football Podcast and uh, Sportsnet uh, contributor covering all things Women's World Cup right now. Uh, Canada and Australia, they will get their game going on Monday morning at like 3 a.m. Calgary time, but uh, they'll replay it, of course. But, yeah, it's a big one. Final group stage game as uh, a win or a draw. We'll see Canada through to the round of 16. You want to win because a, a draw, you might finish second in the group. You never know, and then that could probably possibly set up a meeting with England in the next round. Uh, we are live down at Adrenaline Source of Sports at uh, 9309 McLeod Trail Southwest. It's Hype Fest going on this weekend. Uh, it's the Bauer Vipers' uh, 25th birthday. They're celebrating by unveiling their new stick, the Hyperlite 2. They got the new skate as well. Come out down and uh, say hi. Uh, they're open uh, till 8 o'clock tonight, and of course, all weekend. They got prizes and giveaways. It's a big one. Bauer Vapor celebrating their 25th anniversary. Like I said earlier, I can't believe it's been 25 years of the Vapor product. Uh, around the corner, Aaron Vickers joins the program. Uh, lots happening. Uh, starting to get the wagon going here. Wheels turning here for hockey. Vlad Tarasenko signed, uh, obviously, and uh, what else is happening around the sporting world? We'll get all to it. Blue Jays game day as well. Uh, keep it locked right here at Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This is Sportsnet Today. Okay.